God, we come to this time in our worship service where we direct our hearts, our minds, and our attention to your holy word. God, not to the foolish ramblings of an insufficient and unworthy preacher, Lord, but to the word of you, our Lord. So, God, we ask, as humbly as we know how, Father, that you would speak in spite of of a servant who is unable, Lord. I pray that Your Word would go forth, that it would not return unto You void, but it would accomplish the task and the purpose that You have set for it to accomplish. Lord, as we all come together this morning, we, we need to be challenged. Father, we need to be convicted of our sin, of our shortcomings. God, but we also desperately need to be comforted and encouraged. Lord, the miracle of Your Word is that all of this is possible simultaneously through Your Spirit preaching Your Word to Your people. So Lord, would You come now? Would You speak to us? Speak to our hearts, Father. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Folks, there are, there are many things that amaze me about following the Lord. And there's oftentimes a lot of people who have a certain idea of what preaching should be and what preaching should not be. And uh, there, are, there are different camps. There's topical camps where you kind of scour the Bible and find different passages that deal with specific topics. And then there's more of an expositional approach where you, you take a passage and you try to look at what the original intent of that author and what the Holy Spirit was saying from that time, from that author to us today. And uh, there's some people that are very adamantly against one or the other, but it always blows my mind how regardless of the manner in which you preach or the style in which you preach, if you seek out the Holy Spirit, He will move, He will lead, and He will direct what sermons are preached and when they are preached. So it was probably nine or ten weeks ago that the Lord finalized and really placed upon my heart that we needed to spend 12 weeks in the Gospel of Matthew. We needed 12 sermons from Matthew beginning in Matthew 12. And we are several weeks into that sermon series now. And what I did not know then is that there would be this pandemic, this outbreak, this pandemonium, all of this craziness that is going on right now and that we would be in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 to 31 this morning. I have to warn you that this coincidence that's not coincidental at all, this divine appointment that the Lord has made for all of us together today has me a little extra excited to preach today. So please bear with me because I am in awe of how our God moves. In the passage we are about to read, Jesus is amazed Jesus himself is astounded at the fate of a Canaanite woman, of a Syro-Phoenician woman. And the most incredible part is that where we get the word great, where we get the word awesome and mighty and big and huge and vast, in Greek it's this word megas. So if you think of the word mega, that's from Greek. That's where we get our understanding of great and big and vast and mighty and strong. And so in the Greek text, it says that this woman has mega faith. And folks, I don't know about you guys, but 
given all that's going on around us today, I need a reminder about what mega faith looks like. So this morning, let's take a look at the mega faith of a woman who's not even Jewish that amazes our Savior. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to be beginning in verse 21. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're welcome to borrow one of the ones in the pew in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home and you happen to have ventured out and are visiting with us today, you can take the Bible from the back of the pew and keep it as yours. It is our gift to you. We have plenty more. We will refill them, okay? If you would prefer to look at your phone or a tablet or just follow along on the screens, all of those things are wonderful. But I would ask that you turn with me to the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 15. I would also ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word as we begin with Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. The word of the Lord says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs. Eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Folks, it's amazing to me how everywhere Jesus went, somebody knew who he was. I know that social media is still relatively new in the scope of human history, but I want you to think about everywhere that Jesus went, somebody knew who he was. And his picture was not on Instagram. He was not on Snapchat. He was not on TikTok. He was not on Facebook. He was not on Twitter. There were no pictures posted of him. There were no notifications where people popped open their phone and went, Whoa, Jesus is coming to town. This is going to be a good day. They just knew. They knew he was coming. They knew who he was. They knew what he looked like because everybody was talking about Jesus. 
And so every now and again, Jesus was a bit overwhelmed by the pressure of the crowd. You have to remember, he's completely God and completely human. So there is a side of Jesus, there is a portion in the wholeness of who he is that is tired and worn down and sometimes needs to retreat. So we often see Jesus retreating and going away to find solace, going away to recenter himself with the Father. He and the Father are one, and sometimes it's necessary for him to go to the Father in solitude to reaffirm that connection, to recharge his batteries. And so we find Jesus leaving Israel and going to the area of Tyre and Sidon, where there are Canaanites who are still left alive. There are still people of Canaanite descent in this area. It is outside of the tribes of Israel, and he goes away from his country. He leaves the area of Galilee, hoping that he might find some solitude. And you may be thinking that I'm reading a bit too much into this brief description in verse 21, but there's actually a mirror image of this story in the Gospel of Mark. The beauty of it is that neither one of them is in a contradiction with the other. But if we look at the two of them together, we get a full picture of what is going on when Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon. So look with me, if you will, at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We'll have it on the screen here. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24, 25, and 26 is all we will look at for now. But it says in Mark, chapter 7... That from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It says, he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet, he could not be hidden. Even when Jesus is trying to get away, he can't get away. He wanted to go to a random house of somebody and sit and dine with them at a specific location in a specific house that nobody knew about. And yet, it was not possible for him to be hidden. Immediately. This is a common word throughout Matthew, but especially in Mark. This Greek word, euthus, shows up everywhere in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately this happened, and immediately that happened, and immediately this happened. So Jesus has no sooner sat down at the table, gotten ready for his meal, and this lady immediately begins to pester him. A woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So this woman comes up and we're told in Mark that she's of Syrophoenician descent, but we're told in Matthew that she's a Canaanite. So which is it? These two, these two, that's it. See, that's right. That's where the gospels are contradicting one another. We can't trust the Bible because see, Matthew says she's Canaanite and Mark says she's Syrophoenician. So which one is it? And the answer is yes. She is a Canaanite woman. That's a big umbrella. Then you get a little bit more specific and you find out that she's from the regions of Syria and Phoenicia. They're not in contradiction whatsoever. But see, Matthew gives us a lot more detail about the interaction between this woman and Jesus. This woman knows she's not invited. I hope we understand that Jesus is at a private secluded dinner party where nobody is supposed to interrupt him and he has gone for solitude. Nobody's supposed to know. Nobody's supposed to barge in. And yet, here's this woman at the door. 
Jesus, I know you're in there. Please help my daughter. Jesus, I know you're in there. Please help my daughter. Trying to have dinner. Jesus just trying to relax. And this woman is pounding on the door. Will not be turned away. And Jesus responds as we always see Jesus responding, right? Jesus turns with compassion and says, Dear woman, your daughter is healed. Be gone. No. Jesus doesn't say a word. He gives this woman the silent treatment. Now, I know there are many husbands who like to joke that the silent treatment is actually a blessing in their household. But we all know that's not true. Anybody who has suffered through the silent treatment as a husband or a wife or as a parent or as a child, the silent treatment is not fun. There's a code thing that Jessica and I do that I let her know I was looking for some kind of response and I feel like I'm getting the silent treatment and it's the phrase, good chat. So if I tell Jessica, hey, Jess, you'll never guess what happened today. There was this person that came in my office and they didn't know Jesus, right? And so all of a sudden they saw Jesus as we were talking and they got saved and it was amazing and they're going to be baptized Sunday. And Jesus, and, and, and I'm talking about Jesus to Jess and she's just like, mm-hmm. And doesn't even give me a mm-hmm most times. It's just good chat. So when I say good chat and start walking away, she goes, oh, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. That, that's just that's a wonderful thing. It's a good it's a good thing. Trust me, if she said good chat to me, I'd hear it a lot more than what I say to her. So it, it's it's fair. But nobody enjoys the silent treatment, do they? It's not fun for anybody, especially if you have something burning that you want to say. And Jesus, the Messiah, the most compassionate and merciful one, gives this woman the silent treatment. Folks, I wonder this morning, is there anybody here who can testify along with me that you've prayed to Jesus before? You've called out his name. You've cried, Jesus, help me. And you felt like Jesus was giving you silent treatment. Folks, I've been there. What do we normally do? What's our typical response? Our typical response, at least mine, is, well, fine. I guess you just don't even care, Jesus. Fine. That's Sure, sure. Don't do anything. I did like Gideon. I laid the fleece out there. I asked for it to be wet. I woke up and everything was dry. I'm asking for something, God. Just show up and show me something. And Jesus gives you what feels like the silent treatment. Folks, let me assure you, this woman didn't feel like she was getting the silent treatment. Matthew clearly tells us Jesus did not answer a word. you got to imagine Jesus reclining at the table and she says, Jesus, from right outside the door. These are not big houses. There's no way the conversation can continue. And so Jesus just breaks off another piece of bread, takes a bite and goes, so what about the tax collector you were telling me about? Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Oh, good story. I like it. And this woman does not give up on Jesus. Folks, I got to admit, every level we're about to go to in this story is probably further than I would have pressed. This story has been so convicting to me because this woman has such great faith. I probably wouldn't have made it past step one. 
when Jesus gave me the silent treatment, I probably would have said, that's it. I guess, I guess he can't help. Folks, there is a temple to a foreign god that archaeologists, archaeologists have found three miles from where Jesus was at this time. This Syrophoenician woman living among pagan worshipers could have gone to her pagan temple of the God of healing, no less. Not a God of fertility, not a God of rain. There was a temple to a God of healing only three miles away. And Jesus gives her the silent treatment and she does not turn to the pagan gods. She stays after Jesus. And so then we continue. What happens next? His disciples came and begged him, saying, send her away, for she is crying out after us. Remember how the Greek language works. When something is in present tense, it's an ongoing action. So this crying out is much like what I gave you from the pulpit moments ago. It's not just, Jesus, help me, but it's, Jesus, Jesus, help me, help me, Jesus, Jesus, over and over again. The disciples step in to help. If Jesus isn't going to talk to her, if Jesus doesn't have anything to say to this woman, then we'll step up and take care of things. And let me tell you, in true fashion, the disciples are on point. Not quite. They never seem to be on point. That's why I find them so loving and relatable. I'm never on point, and the disciples don't ever seem to be either. Jesus, and they say, Jesus, send her away. Man, we can't even hear ourselves think. And Jesus is not talking to her at this moment. Jesus responds to the disciples to speak indirectly to her. And he tells the disciples... I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now listen, you don't have to admit to it this morning, but I dare say most all of us have spoken indirectly to somebody at some time in our lives. Maybe this situation sounds familiar to you. You turn to the person sitting beside you in the movie theater. The person in front of you has a very large head. And you want that person in front of you to move their very large head that is obstructing your view. Instead of tapping that person on the top of their very large head, you turn to your movie-going companion and you say, Wow, it's very hard to see from these seats. Don't you think maybe we should move? Or do you think this person is going to sit this way the whole movie? And maybe, by the grace of God, they go from sitting as high as they can sit. I have good posture. Maybe they, maybe they slink down a little bit for you, you know? They just kind of recline and watch the movie some. But you, you don't have the courage to talk to them directly. Some people would call this passive aggression, right? You don't, you don't directly call somebody out. You talk about them to somebody else. That's what Jesus does. Step two from the silent treatment is a passive-aggressive indirect statement to her through the disciples. This woman still hasn't got Jesus' attention. Do we realize that we would have given up? And yet, she pursues.
I'm back. She comes and she kneels before him. And folks, if ever there was a prayer to copy in Scripture, she simply says, Lord, help me. Folks, there's, there's some things that money can't buy. There's some diseases that medicine just can't cure. There's some situations in life that just cannot be made right any other way than to cry out to Jesus, to cry out to our God and say, Lord, help me. Folks, that's a biblical prayer. Preacher, you don't understand. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to cry out to God. I don't, I don't know what to say. You say, God, help me. Three simple words. It's at this prayer that Jesus responds. But let's see what he says. He answered her directly now. It's not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. Woo! Jesus didn't just say that, right? I mean, for real. Guys, this is Jesus the Messiah, the most nice and compassionate person ever to have existed. And he said, you a dog. Now look, there's all sorts of commentary on this and it just cracks me up, alright? Because the word used, there's two Greek words for dog. And the word used is the word for like a loved, domesticated pet dog. Like, you my little poodle. Ooh, I just love my cute little mini toy poodle. It's just, ooh, it's a cute dog. I just, and then there's another Greek word for a mutt just running in the street, just one of them old dogs. You know what I mean? Jesus uses the word for the, the nice, pretty little poodle. You know, ooh, this is my little pet poodle. I just love my poodle. He's actually giving her a compliment. Gentlemen, you just try this. Go to your loved one and say, baby, you my sweet, precious baby poodle. See if that helps you any more than saying, baby, you, you, a, you a mutt, you a dog. I, I love you. You my mutt. You just my, my random street dog, baby. I just like you so much. Let's see how that goes over. Is it going to help any? Jesus calls the woman a dog. There's no way around it. The first statement is he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He's clearly outside the region of Israel. And he says, woman, I wasn't sent to you. I was sent to the people I left to get some solitude. And here you are just trying to come after me for what I can do for you. That's what happens at the end of the passage. You know Jesus had to get tired of it. People didn't want him. People didn't want to be saved. People didn't want what Jesus really was. They wanted what Jesus could do for them. And Jesus is weeding out whether or not this is one of those people who just shows up and just demands what they need from me and I never see them again. Are they here for me or are they here for what I can do for them. And church, I wonder if Jesus never blessed us another blessing in all of our lives, has he blessed you enough that you wouldn't turn from him? Are we just after Jesus for what he does for us? Are we just after Jesus because he's who helps us when we're in trouble? Or do we love Jesus for the simple fact that he is Jesus and our Savior and our Messiah? Is that not enough? For us, if Jesus never did another thing for us, is it enough for us to continue our faith in him? But Jesus, what have you done for me today? Not just what have you done for me, what have you done for me today? But that 
It's not this woman. Her response is not, how dare you calling me a dog? What gives you the right? Her response is, ooh, now he's talking to me. We're getting somewhere. He acknowledged I'm here. I'm making progress. I'm getting closer, and I ain't giving up yet. And so she turns and responds to Jesus, and she says, yes, Lord, I'm a dog, and I'm okay with it. But even a dog in their master's house will eat the crumbs off of their table. Folks, if you ain't never had a dog that you brought in after your toddler daughter threw all her food on the floor, then you have not experienced true grace from God, okay? I'm telling you, our little dog comes in and she cleans up that floor and she licks it clean. We are good to go. She's kind of fed and kind of happy. Our floors are clean. It's a good symbiotic relationship. And this woman is willing to identify as a dog. I'll be a dog if you let me be a dog in your house, Jesus. I'll be your dog if you'll let me be your dog. Because even your dog can eat the crumbs from your table. I'm still going to get to eat from your table, Jesus. I'll be happy to be your dog. Can I just be in your house? And what does Jesus reply? Jesus says, woman, mega is your faith. Great, mighty, vast is your faith. Let it be done for you as you so desire. And then what happens? Dinner party's over. Everybody leaves. Jesus went on from there. Verse 29. Jesus went on from there. Isn't that kind of strange? It's kind of odd that Jesus needed solitude and it only lasted for one dinner. It's kind of strange that Jesus needed to get away from everybody and get out of Galilee. So he goes to Tyre and Sidon, outside the people of Israel. He goes to this other country altogether. He stays there for maybe half a day and then comes right back to Galilee. He goes on from there. Folks, I'd like to submit to you this morning. Jesus may not have really needed solitude this time. Jesus may have gone to Tyre and Sidon just for this lady. And so you think, wait a minute, he went there just for her. What did he treat her like dirt for? He treated her like she was nothing. He called her a dog. Let's look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Picking up at the end of verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 at the end of verse 1. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 12, that's the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus, in this interjection phrase, is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Our faith is a gift from God. God gives us our faith. And Jesus has two relationships with us and our faith. Sometimes he's putting faith in us, and sometimes he's pulling faith out of us. And folks, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus treated this woman the way that he did to pull great faith out of her, to show the great faith 
to his disciples who wanted to send her away to show everybody there in Tyre and Sidon that there is great faith to be found in Jesus. And so he forces this woman to either turn away or dig in deeper. And her faith grows by leaps and bounds because she will not handle the silent treatment. She will not handle being spoken to indirectly. She will not stop at being called a dog. She has faith that Jesus and Jesus alone is the answer that she needs. And she will not leave until Jesus answers her prayer. Folks, is that your faith? Is that my faith? Maybe when we pray and we don't hear Jesus answer, Jesus is pulling more faith out of us. Trust deeper in me. I know you didn't hear from me right now, but I'm being quiet so that you learn how to trust me even more than what you trust me right now. And then we finally continue to pray and get past the silent treatment and we feel like Jesus isn't even talking to us directly. He's doing this passive aggressive speech indirectly to his disciples. Or maybe it's the church as the representatives of the, of the, his disciples turning us away and saying, listen, that problem is not for Jesus. Get out of here. We've done that to people, and yet God is calling and pulling more faith out of us to trust in Him in spite of His flawed people, in spite of His flawed disciples, to continue to hang in there. And maybe Jesus even responds by calling us dogs, by feeling like we are insulted by the Savior Himself. And he wants to know, are you going to hang in with me, April? Are you going to hang in with me, David? John, don't give up just yet. Not being a toddler who is demanding their way, but being persistent in our faith. Trusting that Jesus is our answer. Trusting that if we wait in long enough, if we hang in there long enough, Jesus is going to show up and He's going to show off. And He's going to do great things. And He's going to use a virus that's worldwide to draw scores of people to His name for His glory. So that heaven will be jam-packed full. And they got to widen out the fences. And they got to broaden out the borders. Because the mega faith of God's people has drawn in countless folks who need Jesus. Mega faith has an impact. Everybody else in the rest of the verses that we look at come seeking Jesus because they heard from the Syrophoenician woman that there is faith and love and hope to be found in Jesus. Are you going to have mega faith during coronavirus? Are you going to have mega faith when your job says that we don't have time for you? Are you going to have mega faith when they say we can't pay you? Are you going to have mega faith when you run your own business and you have to close the doors because you spend all your money paying the employees? Are you going to have mega faith when you got your kids at home and you're going crazy? Are you going to have mega faith when you're a single parent and you need some help and support and you don't know where else to turn and everything seems to be working against you? Will you have mega faith and trust in Jesus? When the doctor says the prognosis is cancer, when the economy has tanked, when there's not enough money in the bank, will you have mega faith? When your marriage is falling apart, when your kids are wandering from the gospel, when everything is going wrong and you seem to not get any answer from Jesus, will you have mega faith? God, that's what he wants from us. That's what God wants from us. That's what God is trying to draw out of us. 
And even in trying and difficult and scary and uncertain times, God is seeking to do a work in you. God is seeking to do a work in me. And God is trying to draw out from us the faith that He founded within us so that the world might see what mega faith really looks like. What it looks like to really trust Jesus against all odds. When it seems like Jesus is silent. When it seems like the church isn't even welcoming you in. When it seems like the Savior is insulting you. May we be a people of mega faith. Let's pray. God, thank You for the example that You give in this woman. Thank You for the faith that You put in her. God, the faith that You drew out of her to show us what it looks like to truly trust You. God, I know as I stand behind this pulpit, that's not me. Oh, Father. Lord, help us. God, help us. Let us be people of mega faith, great faith, God. Don't let us be anxious or worried. Lord, don't let us take silence from you as a lack of response. But Lord, let us trust against all hope, against all odds. Oh, Father, we want to believe, but help our unbelief. Lord, help us. We are so desperate for you. Let us be at the level of desperation that this precious woman was. Let us be so desperate for you that that our faith is not just commonplace. But that it may be vast and wide and strong and big. Oh, God. Father, give us mega faith. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need to know that you're at work. Because literally, Lord, it seems like everybody in the world has gone crazy. You're the only hope. You're the only solution. May we trust in you and in you alone. And may we have faith like this precious Canaanite, Syrophoenician woman. May that be our story this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ.